have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. How are you guys doing tonight? All right, we finally made it into uh, chapter 3 of our series. So basically, last week concluded our uh, creation account, uh, meaning that in the last couple chapters, we've just been talking all about creation. Well, starting in verse 1, chapter 3, we officially move away from that kind of portion of our series, and uh, things uh, certainly don't go so well. Uh, Pretty quickly after God creates everything, uh, it takes a turn for the worst, and so uh, Genesis chapter 3 is the fall of man. It's probably one of the saddest days ever recorded in human history. Uh, However, there is encouragement for us tonight that we look back on this because though it was the saddest day in history, there was also a promise of hope the very same day. And it was the hope that one day that though there was this turning away from God, there was this separation, this sin, that in Jesus Christ coming, that there would be the restoration as it was always supposed to be. And so we look at a story like this that is rather... Uh, glim. It's uh, glim. I don't think that's a word. Grim. There you go. Glum. Grim. I don't know. But uh, it, it's, it's a story that's not super cheerful, yet it's awesome because you and I as Christians can look back and, and find uh, tools and encouragements uh, to apply to our very own walks uh, with the Lord. And so um, you guys want to make sure you turn to Genesis 3. Now, the text... What we've been going through, it doesn't give us a timeline, meaning we don't know how much time elapses from the last verse in chapter two uh, to the the first verse in chapter three. Uh, People have guesses, they have estimations, but simply it's all speculation. However, uh, my best educated guess of how long it took, right? God said, it's very good. Adam and Eve are married. They're hanging out with the animals. They're cultivating the garden. It's just them two at this, at this moment. How much time until they mess it all up? Well, we know that before the fall, before the decision to disobey God, Adam and Eve had no children, nor had they yet conceived. Uh, Eve was not pregnant at this time. Uh, and so that can give us a, a good idea that probably not much time had elapsed. Why? Well, God's command to them was to be fruitful and what? Multiply, okay? Uh, Yet we don't see the fruit of what they were to do just yet, which should indicate to us there probably wasn't a ton of time that elapsed because they had not yet disobeyed God, meaning they were obeying God in that original command. Now, what is more important than the timing is the event itself. And so let's dive in. Genesis chapter three, why don't you stand with me? Uh, I don't know, it's Wednesday. We don't normally stand on Wednesdays, but let's do it. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Genesis chapter three, verses one through six. Genesis chapter three, and remember we stand out of reverence for the word of God. This is not a fairy tale. This is not a cute story. This is not someone's guess of how our world is so messed up. This is a factual event. Uh, This is, in a sense, history. Notice verse 1. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse four, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Let's pray. God, as we look to the, one of the saddest days in history, uh, we don't look at it with hopelessness, but we look at it with hope because before Adam and Eve sinned against you, you knew it would happen. And before the foundation of the world, you tell us that the lamb was already slain, meaning that you had it all under control. You had the plan of redemption before redemption was ever needed. And we thank you for your sovereignty, your ability to control all things. And we pray that as we look back at this day in history, that we, uh, Lord, would take heed, that we would not make the same mistakes that Adam and Eve did, but we would learn from them. And Lord, we would lean into Jesus Christ that we might have, Lord, a relationship with you. And so we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, uh, first, we're basically going to look at this conversation. Um, to next week, we're going to look at kind of the consequences of the sin. But uh, really today, we're going to look at the, the actual event, what led up to that moment of disobedience. And so if you're taking notes tonight, you can notice in verse 1, we find uh, an interaction started between a snake and a woman. And uh, we'll find out how we know that this snake is none other than Satan himself. Notice again, verse one, we're told that this serpent, where we're introduced to a specific animal. And he says that this serpent uh, was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And so we are introduced to one of the many animals that God had created. The serpent was not inherently bad or evil. The serpent would have been one of the many animals that Adam would have named himself. But we're given a description of, of what kind of animal this, serp, this serpent was. And we're told that he was more cunning than any beast of the field. Meaning out of all the animals that Adam named, there was one, which was the serpent, that would be described as more cunning. The idea of this word cunning it means crafty or clever uh, or, or wise. This word in and of itself is actually neutral, meaning it's not good or bad. It has the potential to be used for good. That wisdom, that craftiness, that cunningness uh, has the potential to be used for bad or for good. We see this word used other times in the Old Testament, and sometimes it's positive and sometimes it is negative. However, because of this story, this word cunning has now a negative connotation because of what happens with this serpent. Now, it is this serpent who God created, okay, that Satan chose to indwell and speak through. 
Now, if we only had the account of Genesis 3, there's nothing in the text that tells us this is Satan. Go ahead. Look at verses 1 through 6. You will not find the name of Satan. You won't find devil or enemy or anything like that. You'll just see the fact that it is a snake. And without the rest of the Bible, it would appear that there is just some crazy snake gone wild. Uh, But we know from the rest of the Bible that this is referring to the enemy of our souls who is given actually a couple different names uh, and titles. Revelation 12, 9 uh, 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 gives us a good reference point to know that this serpent uh, was Satan himself uh, way back when. So the great dragon, this is obviously Revelation, so it's at the end of the book. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, okay, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And so it's kind of interesting because we see a progression here. Satan was once a serpent, right? When he, meaning he wasn't a serpent, but he chose to reveal himself to mankind. The very first time he chose to indwell a serpent. But now by the end of the book in Revelation, look, he is a great dragon. And so you actually see this progression of even Satan becoming a greater and greater evil, uh, not necessarily a greater force, but a greater evil. Now, we're given, though, two names, um, and we think of them as ni- names, but they're actually titles and descriptions of the nature of who we call the devil. Does anyone know uh, the name of Satan, uh, the, the proper name? Yeah, yeah, Lucifer, which sounds like really scary to us, but it's actually not a, not a bad name. That, that was his good name that was given to him by God. Uh, which meant the the morning star. Um, But we see that now over time, because of his disobedience, uh, we refer to him as, notice, the devil and Satan. So if you don't know, devil is the word for slanderer, someone who slanders, okay? Or, Or can basically, to slander someone, it means to talk bad about them. So he's the devil, he's a slanderer. But then Satan, that word means adversary. He is the one who slanders and he is the one who is against. And so we're going to actually see him as the serpent in this story, in this account, that we're going to see how he slanders God. He talks bad about God to Eve. And we're going to see how he is against Eve the whole time and deceives her. And so he is not only the devil, the slanderer, but he is Satan, uh, the adversary or the enemy. Okay? Does that make sense? And so it's not that Lucifer or Satan is a snake. It's that he chose to embody or indwell this certain snake. Now, we know that there's something very different about this serpent because it begins to talk to Eve. Okay? Notice, it, it it records for us that serpent asks Eve a question pertaining to God. Notice verse one. You guys have your Bibles open? Look at verse one. He says, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Translation, did God actually say? We don't know if there was any kind of like, did the serpent pop, pop up? And he's like, hello. Like, we, we don't know. It seems like this is the beginning of their conversation. 
uh, where he appears to Eve and he says, has God indeed said? That's the a, that's a first thing that's recorded for us. Did God actually say? And so if you take your notes, attack number one is doubt. Satan first attacks Eve. Not, he doesn't make a statement. He, it's an innocent question. Did God really say? Has God indeed said? You see, he wanted her to specifically doubt the word of God. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So number one, he plants the question in Eve's mind whether God really said something. Okay, so number one, he plants doubt in her mind just regarding something that God said. But then secondly, he seeks to quote God, but twists what God said, taking a positive command and making it sound negative. Look in, look in your Bible. Notice what he says. He says, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Is that what God said? Uh, no, no, he, he didn't. He actually twists this in a way where he's essentially saying, God won't let you eat of every tree. Now, there's truth in that, but it's twisted. It's perverted truth. Uh, God did say you can eat of every tree. Remember, every tree you may freely eat except one. And so here, Satan focuses on the negative rather than the positive. You see, what God said to Adam was really clear. We, we talked about it last week. You remember how we talked about man's first home, man's first job, man's first command, and then uh, man's first marriage? The command was super clear. Hey, everything you see, yours. Give you all authority. Eat of it. There's just one tree in the entire world. Don't eat from it. And if you do, then you're going to die. It was super clear. But you see, what Satan seeks to do is to make God's word unclear. And this is a huge goal of Satan, even in our lives today. You see, God's word is clear. It is. It's not always, uh, you know, sometimes God has you dig for the interpretation, but it's always plain. You never have to go and find someone to give you the proper interpretation. God says, I will reveal it to you. It is clear but what Satan wants us to do in our lives is to begin to question what God really said. That this doubt is always the first step to unbelief and ultimately unbelief in the goodness of God. I want you guys to listen close. Every sin begins with us questioning the word of God or the goodness of God and usually both, okay? So every sin that, that we commit against God, it begins with questioning. We, we know what God said, but, but we say, well, does this fall into that? And we can do justifications very quickly in our minds. We can twist what we know is right and what we know is wrong. And, and, and whether we say it out loud or not, when we sin, we are questioning the word of God or the goodness of God. Meaning, I know God told me not to do this, but I think I know what is best, and so I am going to do this thing. And so we question the goodness of God toward us. And so what can seem like a, you know, just rather, it's just an innocent question of this random snake that, that he says, has God indeed said? And so attack number one, he's seeking to plant doubt, okay? 
But then Eve has a pretty decent reply. Um, at face value, Eve's reply uh, is pretty good. Notice what she says. Verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat of it, nor, nor uh, shall you touch it lest you die. It sounds like a pretty good response, right? She doesn't say like, oh, I don't know. Maybe we could eat from it. No, her response is generally true. Generally what God had told her. And I always find it amazing in this account that Eve even responds to the serpent. Because I always try, you know, when, when reading the Bible, I try to put myself in, in the people's shoes that I'm reading. I'm like, you know, think about that for a moment. Okay, if a, if a snake came up to you and started talking, I don't know if I would respond in such a calm manner. I don't know if I say, well, God actually said such and such and, and whatever it might be. Uh, I, I w- it would be a different story altogether. But Eve responds, and uh, uh, we, we don't know why. Some people kind of question the validity of this story because they don't see Eve freaking out. Um, but you got to remember, Adam and Eve, they're literally like brand new. Okay, They're, they're, they're still getting settled in. Uh, most likely there wasn't a lot of time that would pass. And so maybe Eve wasn't surprised because uh, she, she, maybe she never even seen a serpent before. And so she's still getting like used to things in general. And so the serpent comes up. We don't know exactly why. Some people think, well, maybe some animals were able to talk before the fall. And a result of God's curse upon the world and animals and humanity changed that altogether. We don't know why the Bible doesn't say all we know is she gives a, what seems to be a pretty good response. She talks about that, that liberty. She said, well, God said we can eat of the trees. She talks about the limitation. God said we can't eat of one specific tree. And she even knows the consequences. So it's not that Eve had this lack of knowledge. It doesn't seem like, you know, Adam didn't tell her about that command that God had given. She is aware and knows it. But there are some interesting things to note about the response, okay? Look, look back at your Bibles. Notice that she does not specifically name the tree. What does she say there? She says, she says, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden. Now, we know there are two trees in the midst of the garden. What was the other one? Yeah, the tree of life, right? We talked about those two trees that God specifically mentioned. So, it, it, it's just interesting to me. I'm not saying it's a huge point, but, but why does she not specifically name the tree? Uh, remember, the command was to Adam. So did, did Adam not tell her the name? Like, w- did Adam just say, like, hey, see that tree? Yeah, don't eat of it. God said you're going to die if you do. So w- we don't know what the exchange was, but for whatever reason, she doesn't name it. Okay, well, that's kind of interesting. But notice what she adds and takes away. Okay, so we have the original command here. We read this last week. God told Adam this, of every tree of the garden, you may freely, everyone say freely. You may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day, you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. So notice that she takes away that word freely. In verse two and three, she does not say the word freely freely. Okay, just note that. Secondly, she also adds something. Can anyone find what she adds to her quotation of the word of God? 
Yeah, do you know it? Uh, no, not, not quite. Looking for something else. You see it? Yeah, you touch it, right? Did God say anywhere about touching the tree? Did he say that's bad? Now, there's some implications of like, hey, don't eat it, so you might not want to touch it either. But I just think it's interesting. She also adds the idea of, of, of not touching it. Now, this may seem small, but I think it's important because self-admittingly, she made God seem a little less gracious. She doesn't add that word freely. And she also made him seem a little more strict than he actually was. He said, don't eat of it. We don't see it recorded for us that he said, don't touch it. Now, this is important because you and I must know God's word precisely. If we're talking about what God has said, then we better take that serious enough to get it right. right? If it's God's word that gives us the right perspective of who God is, then if we miss something, if we add to what the Bible says, or we take away from what the Bible says, you and I are going to have a twisted version of who God is. We're going to not see him as we should. And just a little adjustments there can make, seem God, can make God seem a little more harsh and a little less gracious. Deuteronomy 4.2 says this, you can note it down. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Now, this was a commandment to the Israelites, but I wonder if it was based upon Eve's uh, mistake right here, that she added, just a little, it's, oh, it's just one word. It's just one phrase. And she took away that one word. Now, uh, again, I don't think this is something, you know, the main point of the text, but I think it's important that as you and I know what God has said, that we don't say, well, it kind of makes God sound a little better if we add this word. No, what we have is what God has said, which shows us who God is. Second Timothy 2.15 says this, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so was this the reason why Eve sinned? No. But is it a factor? Maybe. And I think you and I, as we look at this account, we should take note that, that whether we're writing God's word, whether we're telling someone God's word, we want to make sure that we get the details right if we're saying, thus says the Lord. Does that make sense? You guys got that? Okay, let's look at the, the third uh, part here, which is Satan's statement. And we find this in verses four through five. Verses four through five, Satan's statement, okay? So he poses the question, Eve replies, and now Satan is ready to go for the kill. Notice what he says in verse four. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, one of the things that I wish we had was tone in the Bible, don't you? Sometimes when you're hearing the words of Jesus, like, what did he say when he called them whitewashed tombs? Like, what was his voice like? Was he like yelling? Was he like stern? He sound like my dad? Like, what, what was it like? And even here, right, when Satan says this 
What does he say it like? Will he say what he's like? You will not surely die. Get out of here. And he says, look, God, God just doesn't want you to be like him. And so he's holding back from you. We don't know what the tone was like, but that's certainly what it seems like when reading. Satan moves here from questioning what God said to outright denying it. Notice what he said, you shall not surely die. That is against the very command and consequence that we just read about. And so he goes from questioning, but he moves now to outright denying it. Not denying that God said it, but denying that it's true what God said. I want you to look at verse 4. That is the very first lie reported, recorded for us in Scripture. And it's the father of lies, Satan, calling God a liar. In verse 4 and 5, Satan is inadvertently calling God a liar. John 8, 44 tells us a little bit about the devil. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He being Satan, this, this who we're talking about, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And notice when he speaks a lie, He speaks from his own resources, for he, Satan, is a liar and the father of it. Who invented the lie? Satan himself. And we see the very first lie in Scripture presented to us here. Now, the worst part of Satan's lies is that they're typically laced with truth. They're typically laced with truth. The most deceptive lies are those that have truth in them, right? And Satan was truthful when he said that their eyes would be opened, but he left out the part where their eyes would be opened to knowing their own evil and lack of good. What he says in verse 5 when he says, your eyes are going to be open, you're going to know good and evil, that's true. But the consequence of that, the fullness of that is not what he was portraying. It's kind of like when you watch movies that have a genie in them, right? And, and the genie will say something, and they're not wrong. But how they present it is deceptive, is cunning. And so, right, the, the people typically, you know, if you've ever seen Aladdin or anything like that, you typically, you know, they, they say yes or they say, I want that. And then there's always a catch, right? There's always the catch. And you see, Satan is so good at this, lying. He says to them, he says, listen, you won't die. He said, you could be like God. And he implies that God was holding back from them. See, it's here that that Satan kind of zeroes in on attacking that good nature of God. And in his crafty way, he seeks now to cause Eve not only to question his word, but also his nature and intentions toward her. He is seeking to trick Eve that God is holding back from her. Now for us today, we got to recognize that this is one of Satan's quite literally oldest tricks in the book. This is classic Satan. Now these lies aren't going to be presented in the same way as they were with Eve. You're not going to really have to worry about a serpent 
coming up to you on your way home tonight and, and getting you to eat an orange, okay? That's not going to be, uh, that it's, it's going to be a different scenario. The, the methods, listen, the methods of Satan will look different, but the principles will be the same, okay? Did you get that? Methods will be different. The principle of his attacks will be exactly the same, and that is to get you to doubt and then deny the word and nature of God. He wants in your life by questioning and by denying what God has said, he wants you to do the same. Now, it's not always going to be that blatant, right? We are looking back at this and we're like, oh man, how could she be so dumb, right? We, we do. We look back and like, okay, like it's pretty clear, like he's trying to trick you, like get it together, Eve. But yet you and I in our own lives, we can be deceived just as easy. And though it's not through a talking snake, it's through many other worldly things. Second Corinthians 11.3 gives us insight that saying ain't done. He's still pulling this trick out of his hat. He says, but I fear, Paul says, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, she was deceived. She was tricked. He says, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The command was simple, which brought clarity, but Satan complicated the matter, which brought confusion, okay? God's command was clear. It wasn't, it, Eve wasn't like, oh, I didn't realize it was that tree. Oh, I thought that was like the tree of life. Oh, I missed it. No, it was super clear what she was doing. Satan's the one that, that gets into our lives and begins to complicate and confuse what God has said. Does the Bible really say that? Did, did God really mean that? I know that's in the Old Testament, but did Jesus ever explicitly say this or that? Does God really care about if you do this or not? Does he really have your best interests in mind? The serpent of temptation is no, the, is no longer an animal. It's a culture. And you and I live in a culture seeking to get us to question the word of God. We are told that this serpent of old is the ruler of this world and that the whole world is under his sway. And so it's a different method. It's no longer a snake. It's an entire culture. Remember, he moves from being an, a little old serpent to a great dragon by the end. And so what, what Satan is seeking to do is not just through one animal, but it is through an entire world system. Yet, because you and I have the word of God and the spirit of God, we can be prepared. We can look back at this story and see and begin to recognize, I know this. Okay, it's not a serpent talking, but you're getting me to question what I know the Bible says. I've been taught this since I was so young. But now you're telling me that, that that's wrong? I thought God said that was right. And you see, that doubt begins to move into denial. Because the world that we live in begins to say what the Bible says about marriage, what the Bible says about sex, what the Bible says about this, that, or the other. Now they're saying it's wrong. And they're beginning to change the tide, but we know Satan is behind this. Second Corinthians 2.11 
says, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You see, the great thing is that though, yes, the world is under his sway, he is still on the attack, and even more so than day one, we don't have to let him manipulate us. Do you, see, you guys see that word, advantage? Satan loves to take advantage of people and situations, to get the better of, to manipulate. Is he not manipulating Eve here? He is. Yet we are not ignorant of his devices, his schemes, tactics, the way that he works. You see, what I love that the Bible gives us this detailed description is the fact that you and I can look back and though it's a different method, we can see the principles. Because the first way, I want you to note this down, the first way that Satan attacks, the, the way that he begins to deceive us is through doubt, okay? Number one, attack number one, we looked at that, is doubt. He just wants you to get to, just question what God says. If he's got you there, then he can just keep going. Attack number two is denial. It moves forward to, well, no, I, I actually don't believe now that God's word says that. And then attack number three is delusion. Doubt, denial, and delusion. It culminates in the deception of that individual. Now, they, they can't even see straight. It started with a little doubt, moved into denial, and now brought to life by delusion. You see, the basis of this temptation was that Eve, what, what, what he is saying here in this statement to Eve, he's saying you can be your own God. You, God has told you what's right and wrong, but if you eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will get to determine for yourself what is right and wrong. It was a complete lie. But this desire has been passed down to us for thousands of years. Judges chapter 21 verse 25 says, in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Each and every one of us struggle now with that, that desire to choose what is right and wrong for us. That's good for me. That's bad for me. This is what people want these days. They want to determine what is good and what is evil, right? And that's why we're seeing, we're seeing something flip. We're seeing evidences of Satan work in the world. Now, what you and I know, we have no doubt that, that this or that is good. But now there's other people saying that's evil. Isaiah talked about this and he gave warning. He said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for a darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You see, Satan is behind this whole thing and it will always be about undermining the word of God. But you and I, we don't have to be taken advantage of by him. We can fight back, all right? Make sense? All right, third and, or fourth and finally, uh, we find Adam and Eve's choice, verse six, and this is where it all culminates where it all kind of comes together here. Verse six says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that what was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, notice with her, and he ate. So the beginning of verse six 
kind of walks us through Eve's consideration. So it wasn't like right away, Satan's done talking and she's like, give me the fruit. No, no, there, there was, it, it was close together, but it seems that, that Satan almost pointed her in that direction and now she's there. She is in, she is in close proximity to that tree. She sees it. That's what we're told. So when the woman saw that the tree, so she sees it and she begins to consider. And this consideration of disobedience leads to her choice of disobedience. You guys hear me? Don't miss that. Her consideration led to her choice. You see, it's like when, when you get to that point, when you begin to consider, you are so close to choosing. You are right on the edge. But there is a way out, right? The Bible tells us that there is a way out of every temptation. You, you never have to sin. And so Eve was on this kind of, this cliff as it were. But she was, she was right up to the, the line and she was just about to cross. And notice what happens as she's considering. She, she sees it and look, look at verse six. She sees that it's good for food, number one. It's pleasant to the eyes and it's desirable to make one wise. Have you guys heard those three descriptions before? Those are the three descriptions of temptation, okay? She said, she looked at it and she said, well, it's gonna taste good to me. It looks good to me. It's very aesthetically pleasing. And, and I think the bigger thing though, the third one was that it was desirable to make her wise. Satan's ploy with her wasn't that, she's like, he's like, oh, like I know you're eating those other trees, but this one is good. Like, okay. It looked good to eat, and I'm sure it probably was tasty for a moment. But that wasn't the draw. The draw was what it would do for her, and she thought it would make her, in a sense, her own God. 1 John 2.16 shows us uh, a parallel to this, and it's a threefold door that leads us to sin. It's a threefold door that leads us to sin. We call it temptation. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh, good for food. The lust of the eyes, pleasant to the eyes. And the pride of life, desirable to make one wise, is not of the Father, but it is of the world. Listen, every time we sin, one of these three, if not all three, will be the motive. It feels good for my body, it looks good to my eyes, or it will be good to me. We sin because it seems good. No one sins of like, that seems horrible. Let me do that and disobey God. No, no. Temptation is always something that's connected to our desires. And those desires are one of these three things. But the pride of life, that third one, that's, that's the one that drew her. I think that's the one that, okay, yeah, like even before she saw the tree, uh, she probably you know, knew that it would taste good based upon sight. But now she gets a description of, oh, this can do something for me. This desire was for self-exaltation, self-glory. This was the motivating factor. And this is what Satan went after, right? You know, Satan is the first one to sin, not Eve. Satan was, he, he sinned in heaven. In Isaiah 14, 14, we're told that, that this is what got him to go against God. 
He looked at God and he said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. It was the pride of life that caused Satan to rally a third of the angels in heaven and rebel against God because he had the thought, I want to be like God. And it's with that very sin that he tempts Eve. And so Satan could seek to persuade her, but he could not push her, right? He could entice her, but he couldn't like take the fruit and shove it down her throat. He couldn't do that. God, God has put bounds on what Satan can do. And so the phrase, Satan made me do it, should never cross our lips because it's simply false. Can he have persuasion? Yes, but he'll never be able to push you off the cliff. That will be your choice yourself. And so we see that her desire led to her decision. James 1, verse 14 through 15 says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then... When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. You see, there's a progression with things. According to James, there's the progression, there's the desire. At this point, Eve had not yet sinned. She had not yet sinned. It it was temptation. It was desire. But you see, the, 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 the next step is sin against God. And so notice the progression in in verse six. She saw, she took, and then she gave, right? So she saw it, consideration. She took, she chose, and then she began to spread that sin with her husband. Now, what's striking to me about verse six is that I believe, and I've never seen the story this way, but I believe verse six indicates to us that Adam was with her the whole time. Notice what it says there in verse six. It says, she also gave to her husband with her. He was with her. We have no indication that Adam did anything to try to stop Eve, but rather he gave in to that request both willingly and knowingly. That he, he was not deceived. The Bible's super clear about this. First Timothy 2.14 tells us that he outright sinned against God. We're told here that Adam was not deceived. He wasn't fallen for the trick. He knew God's command uh, and he wasn't tricked. But the woman being deceived fell into transgression. And so you, you might say, well, what was the bigger sin? Adam was actually the, the bigger sin. That's why God actually puts him responsible for the fall of man. The reason that you and I sin is because of Adam. Yes, Eve played her part for sure. She was deceived. But Adam knew what he was doing and crossed the line. And so we find in in Scripture that Adam is the one who who kind of bears that responsibility. Now, obviously, she was deceived. That's not good. Adam sinned. Both together brings us to where we're at today. Now, next week, we're going to get into the the consequences of this, okay? The the curse and kind of what happens. Well, where do we go from here? Um, But for tonight... I want to ask that question once more. Why, why is this so detailed for us? That's pretty detailed, right? This, this conversation is recorded pretty detailed. I, I think one of the reasons 
is that you and I might understand as we look at our world why things are the way that they are and how it all started. But I think additional to that, the details are in there that you and I might learn from their mistakes, that we might understand the way that our enemy works, his strategies, and though his methods change, the principles remain the same. Listen, Satan is not yet bound by God. He has limitations, but Satan and the fallen world that he has under his authority only in control, God is still in control. He is after you. In the same way, it might not be the same type of lies, but there are similarities. And so we can begin to, to see that. I want to encourage you guys, if you don't know what to read in your Bibles this week, I want you guys to read Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4. Okay, Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4. It's where we see this, old, this serpent of old rear his head once more, and he tempts Jesus himself. And now the difference with Jesus is that he is able to combat all the temptations. But he actually goes through the same thing. You'll find how Satan tempts him with the lust of his flesh, the lust of his eyes, and the pride of life. Satan lays out by using God's word, yet Jesus is able to ward him off because he doesn't fall for the manipulation. But the reason why, and you'll see if you read, is because he knew the word of God. It was hidden in his heart that he might not sin against God. And so listen, for you and I, the takeaway for tonight is the more we know his word, the more we have the proper perspective of who God is, we know what he said us. And so in those moments, and you'll you will experience them and you have experienced them where you're in that point of consideration. It's called temptation. And you're like, man, that looks good. That's going to feel good. Or that's going to do something for me. But you know God's word is said not to. How do you fight that? Only by the word of God. It's the only way. Without a consistent flow the word of God in your life, you will fall into the very same trappings. You'll be manipulated. You'll be taken advantage of. That's why we have the shield of faith, faith in God's word, and we have the sword of the Holy Spirit, which is the word of God. Amen? Amen. God, we, uh, Lord, are, are here before you tonight, and God, we ask that you would fortify us. Lord, we know Satan is real. His tactics are compelling and strong. Lord, that if he could deceive a perfect woman, then, Lord, us in our sinful state, uh, Lord, there's no telling. But, Lord, you have given us what we need to live our lives godly. And, Lord, we want to obey you tonight and we know that we have each our own temptations and that we have these desires away from you. And Satan is seeking to entice them. And he'll do that in a variety of ways. He'll do that through opportunities. He'll do that through invitations. Lord, in our world today, he'll do that through videos. He'll do that through pictures. He'll do that through people we come into contact with movies we watch, music we listen to. The attack is that on all fronts. 
And without you, it seems, Lord, impossible. Lord, but you've given us your spirit to strengthen us, and you've given us your word to guide us. And so, God, we pray that you'd help us to stay close to that path that you've laid out for us, that narrow way that we might not turn to the left or the right. And so, God, help our eyes to be in the word, our knees to be on the ground, that we might not wander away. Lord, we know how sad this day was in history. The results of this were catastrophic. And Lord, you want the best for us. Lord, though Satan tried to get Eve and was successful to question your motives, question your intents, question your goodness, Lord, would you put in our hearts that your way is the best way in every situation? And so, Lord, tomorrow as we go to school or do school at home or around siblings or, or parents, and we, we're at that moment of consideration, we're at the moment of temptation, would we take the way of escape? Would you help us to obey you? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.